here? Where's the peace? Where is it? At the same time, in the evening, I got to watch The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I, my life is amazing. And uh, I, I got up this morning, and Caden is like, he thinks in movies, he thinks in shows, he thinks in Netflix. He doesn't even watch that much, maybe one a week, but it says, Dad, if I can't sleep, I just turn my, my head onto Netflix. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? He's wireless, I guess. Um, and I said to, he gets up this morning instantly, he says, man, I, that, that was such an awesome movie last night. And I said, really, what was awesome about it? He says, well, he goes on a bit. And I said, well, what's the, what was the purpose of it? What happened? Why was that guy so crusty, so grumpy, the Grinch, right? Jim Carrey. And he says, well, well, when he was a kid, some chubby kid made fun of him. And this is him, right? Some chubby kid made fun of him because he was kind of a hairy kid. So they would kind of point out his hair and stuff, and then he'd get a cookie or something. He'd not only eat the cookie, he'd eat the plate too. So kids would kind of point at him because he was hairy. So at Christmas, they got him a razor. So he shaved off the hair on his face, and he cut himself so many times, he shows up to school the next day with bandages all over himself, and all the kids, (laughs) and that started this whole snowball effect of him hating people and hating Christmas. He has stolen the Grinch, had the peace stolen from him, and he made it his lifelong mission then to steal the Christmas or steal the joy or steal the peace from others all around him. I started to think about Pan Am and started to think about the Grinch, and I have to ask you this question this morning. What is the Grinch in your life that has stolen your peace? What kind of Grinch in your life has stolen your peace? Let's pray together. Lord, I would ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to decipher that. It could be that this morning we might be sitting beside the Grinch. Perhaps the Grinch is at home, still in bed, or perhaps the Grinch is our parents or our kid. Or maybe when we get up in the morning, we see the Grinch every morning because we look in the mirror. So I ask that this morning that you would help us, that if we have been hijacked, if we have been... Um, lacking peace through the Christmas season, I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to pinpoint the Grinch and help us, Lord, to draw close to the author of peace, to the answer to Panem, to the answer to, really, the Grinch. So, Lord, I ask that this morning you would come and give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to camp out at two passages, but mainly one. The first one I'm going to read to you is Romans 16, verses 17 to 20, out of the message. He says in Romans 16, starting at verse 17, One final word of counsel, my friends. Keep a sharp eye out for those who take bits and pieces of the teaching that you learned and then use them to make trouble. Give these people a wide berth. They have no intention of living for our master, Jesus Christ. They're only in this for what they can get out of it, and aren't above using pious sweet talk to dupe unsuspecting innocence. And so while there has never been any question about your honesty in these matters, I couldn't be more proud of you, Paul says. I want, uh, I want you also to be smart, making sure every good thing is the real thing. Don't be gullible in regard to smooth-talking evil. Stay alert like this, And before you know it, the God of peace will come down on Satan uh, with both feet stomping him into the dirt. Enjoy the best of Jesus. 
enjoy the best of Jesus. There we are in the message how he says he's gonna use the double stomp and he's gonna crush the head of Satan, the one who steals our peace from us. There's a past and there's a present and there's a future in that verse. Past because it's what's already been done. In fact, I got a phone call just lately of somebody not experiencing peace and much more than that, it seems as though that there's some evil stuff going on with this person and I have to point toward this that the God of peace will soon crush Satan. It's a done deal. In fact, this points us toward the future of Revelation 20. It's a done deal. It's a matter of fact that we as God's children, not because of our merit, but because what he has done, we turn to him in faith. We are signed, sealed, and delivered into eternity, and we can have peace even though it might be Panem. We can have peace even though we might be surrounded by Grinches. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Romans 5, sorry, uh, Philippians 4 verses 1 to 7 say this. If you can keep that in mind, what we read from Romans, now jumping to Philippians 4, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintaich to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but by, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I love it. At first, we see and the God of peace will soon crush Satan, which actually sounds a little bit unpeaceful, but it's the God of peace will crush Satan, the guy that likes to steal our peace and our joy. And then later on he says, and the peace of God, which doesn't even make sense, transcends all of our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. At the end of this chapter here, or verse nine in in Philippians four, and the God of peace himself will be with you. So the Grinch who stole Christmas, what is the Grinch in your life that has stolen your peace or maybe stealing your peace? So today I want us to look at this and I'm going to mess around with the grammatical reasoning of this verse a bit. It says rejoice in the Lord always and how can we do that? But I'm actually going to use as my, my main premise this morning, the Lord is near. So everything that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to come back, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. If you get one phrase out of this, this mantra throughout the week, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. I don't have peace. Uh, The Lord is near. I'm struggling with uh, the Lord is near. There's that Grinch. The Lord is near. Okay? The Lord is near. So we have the background here, and we probably have Paul chained, uh, chained down to something, and he has a centurion guards looking over him. So there's probably two guys, or he actually might be chained to them. I'm not sure. And here he is writing and telling everybody, rejoice in the Lord always. So he's not actually writing from an ivory tower experience here. 
His life, in our humble opinion, is pretty lame right now. He's chained up here, and he still is telling everybody else to rejoice, and then he's telling them how to do that. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's, think about that stuff. Isn't it our default mechanism to think about the lame things in our life, to think about the Grinches, to think about all our suffering, to think about bills, to think about our kids that aren't making good decisions, to think about, to think about. But we actually have to make a decision to turn around and think about the good stuff. And sometimes we got to work hard at noticing the good stuff. But here he's saying, brothers and sisters, do this, think about this, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. To me, he's saying once again, and what I hinted to before from our our, uh, verse, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan, we see in the past that the evil one is defeated. He was defeated on the cross, and Jesus rose again, gave us new life. And so now, not only do we have um, peace from our past, we can live with peace in our future, but we can live also with peace in our present. So the Lord is near is foreshadowing again and reminding us he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. This season we're actually saying we celebrate that he's coming, that he came. But today I also want you to realize that when he came as a baby, you get that peaceful sensation in Christmas time, but he's coming again. And here Paul is exhorting his brothers and sisters saying, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. He's coming again. He could come at any time. It's called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I don't really mind what your uh, last day's thoughts are. Only this is that he's coming again and he's coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? So if he's coming again soon, that means that we can be ready at any time and we can have peace in the moment because we know that he's coming again. He's promised he had that he will come again. Not only that, but when he rose again and ascended into the clouds, he sent his Holy Spirit, his comforter, his perikaleo, one who comes alongside, to be a presence through every circumstance forever for us. His omnipresence, he is always with us. And we know also from Christmas that his name is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let's jump in here. First of all, the Lord is near. So he says, the Lord is near, be gentle in verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It's kind of interesting because again, gentleness isn't always our first default mechanism, especially when I remember back to one of Kyler's video games wasn't working. He was, dad, I, I had no idea how to fix it. So I just, whoosh, I just smashed it on the table and it worked. Awesome. So if any of you have any needs, any electronic needs, come talk to me. (laughs) But here it's saying, verse 5, be gentle, don't smash it on the table. And it's interesting because he gives us a real-life example because we see in verse 1, two church members not getting along. Two church members that Paul really valued. So these are ladies that love the Lord, ladies that have been really useful and encouraging to Paul. And now for some reason, something's not going right. And we're sitting here going, what, what, what? What's going on? What ha- what's happened? And he doesn't say it. I don't think he wants us to get distracted by what is going on. 
he wants us to see the point that they're not getting along. The Lord is near. Get along. The Lord is near. Stand firm. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So these folks were probably leaders in the church here, some of the first converts to Christianity in the city of Philippi. So Paul doesn't tell us what they're quarreling over, but our guess could be maybe church politics, maybe color of the carpet, maybe doctrine, maybe one of them liked hymns and the other one liked courses. Maybe it was personality conflicts. I don't know, it's in our nature, we want to know what it is. But it's kind of interesting too, because when you look at their names, Yodia means prosperous journey, and Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance. So he's saying to both of these ladies, live in harmony. Live because Jesus Christ has given you peace. Now live in peace. Paul is urging them to be characteristically gentle in moderation. Verse 5 means a sweet reasonableness. From the Greek, this word in verse 5 means a reasonableness of dealing, the considerateness of for others, not urging one's own rights to the uttermost. So it's really being considerate and gentle when we work with one another. It's just not, this is the way I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make sure, I'm going to bulldoze every one of you. He is actually telling us one of the ways for us to rejoice is be gentle with one another. Take it easy. Take it easy. Giving up your rights sometimes. Seeing somebody else, not just yourself. Kind of reminds me of marriage, doesn't it, you? If you go into a marriage, it's all about me, and I'm going to get my way. Well, good luck on that. Right? you got to go in with this gentleness. So how do we treat each other when we have disagreements or when we're terribly passionate about something. I've been there where some people have couched it in fantastic Christian language and they blasted me because this verse says, and I'm just going, I don't really care what this verse says right now because you're a jerk. But I'm serious. Like there's times, you guys, where we can look toward a verse and we, we pummel somebody with it and it's just like, why would anybody listen to you when you haven't even applied that verse to yourself? So we have to be careful how we approach one another. And Paul says it, inspired by the good Lord, be gentle with each other. Have a sweet reasonableness. And nowhere in here does Paul say, you know what, you're not getting along, just go to a different church or start another church, right? (laughs) So the next thing he says is not only to be gentle, but he says, the Lord is near, don't worry. Don't worry. Do not be anxious about anything. And if when I see that, don't be anxious about anything. I'm almost anxious about not being anxious, right? Oh, I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything. Ah, ah, mom. Um, So he says here, don't be anxious about anything. And I look back into the good old dictionary, and it's a transitive verb from the dialect of British. Worry actually means to choke or to strangle, right? Think about that. It's a word picture here. To choke or to strangle, to harass by tearing Biting or snapping, especially at the throat. To shake or pull at with the teeth. So a terrier worrying a rat, right? To assail with rough or aggressive attack or treatment. To torment, to subject or 
to persistent or nagging attention or effort, to afflict with mental distress or agitation, to make anxious. That is the definition of worry. So he says, the Lord is near, don't worry. The Lord is near, don't be anxious. The Lord is near. But how many of us have worries like the rat looking up into the gnarling teeth of one of those terriers? So often, we trade in our faith for fear. I know it's true. I often am so tempted to parent out of fear because I'm scared, you know, just down the road at Bakerview Park. A kid got killed the other night. That's my park. That's on 18th. I live on 17th. That's freaky. And then all of a sudden, I want to parent in fear. Where's my kids? Bring them all around me. And then they can't do all sorts of stuff because fear, 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 instead of faith. Or I'm, I'm scared as just a regular guy. I'm going to screw up my kids. I'm not going to be a good parent. Fear. What is God calling me to? To be the perfect parent? No. He's calling me to be faithful. But we have the Grinch, the mighty Grinch, Satan, that's always trying to throw things and obstacles in our path and doubts in our path and fears in our path. And he's saying, worry, just worry. And here, the Lord is near. Don't worry. Perhaps worrying portrays a lack of confidence sometimes in God. Wearsby says, from a spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking, so it's the mind, and it's a wrong feeling, the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. And we know who's the biggest thief around? Right, John 10.10, the thief has come to kill and destroy. The thief has come to take your joy. The thief has come to take your peace. But Jesus has come to give you life, to give you peace, to give you joy to the full. So it seems to me that it comes back to one of my favorite verses, you guys. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If it's wrong thinking, if Wearsby is right, that it's, from a spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling, which turns into wrong action, then we got to start with our thinking. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Peace involves the mind. Thoughts are powerful. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. Remember, I was giving that illustration the other day when I was learning how to drive. Wherever I looked, that's where I went. Or as a snowboarder, wherever I point my body, that's hopefully where I go. Apparently. Right? So where your eyes are, where your body is pointed, where your stature is moving toward, that's where you're going to end up. So if I keep staring at my worries, keep staring at my fears, keep staring at my shortcomings, well, that's where you're going to end up. That's why repentance means turning right around. It's not staring at your sins. It's not staring at your past. It's staring at your future. It's staring at Jesus Christ now. And he is the one that's saying, the Lord is near, don't worry. Peace involves the mind. Matthew 6 says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor 
was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what am I going to drink? Or what am I going to wear? For pagans run after this. People that don't believe and have not even been exposed to God, they run after all these things. But your heavenly father knows you need them. So seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Let me add here to scripture. Steve's version. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't even worry about the future. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here in Matthew 6, it's backing up what Paul says in Philippians. Don't worry. Cast your fears upon Jesus. Trade your fears in for faith. Next it says, the Lord is near, so pray. So this describes our approach to God. And pray is one of those things that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because I think we all do it differently and we all do it often according to our personalities. But when's the last time that you just simply sat in the presence of the Lord? You know what? It was a God thing just yesterday. Really it was because this last week, somebody that I haven't seen for over a year, she's been on my mind and I have no idea why. I don't even know her very well. I had to, what's her name again? Well, it was crazy because I live by the hospital. And then all of a sudden I saw this lady and she's crossing the, the useless parking lot that I live by. And as she's walking, I'm kind of like, hi. But I always find, feel kind of weird because if it's a nice looking young lady, they're going to go, creep, you know? So and I, I was looking creepy. I was painting, right? So I said, hi. And then she turns around and looks and, and uh, you could see a little bit of standoffish. But then I walked toward her. And then she walked back toward me. You guys, her life has been brutal with pain the last six months. And I didn't know it. So it was absolutely amazing God appointment because right there, tears flowed instantly. And I was able to come, hopefully with the peace of the Lord, and put my hand on her and pray over her right there in the parking lot. I love it because I have no idea why I was thinking about her all this last week. But bam, there she was. As I prayed with her, because some of the circumstances, I don't sometimes know what to pray for, to be honest. There's some stuff, like even this morning, Ken's praying about how do we pray for a kid 15 years old that got killed? How, what kind of prayer can you conjure up for that one, right? One of the things that I'd like to pray then and, and imagine is I just asked, Lord, I want to bring this family this painful dilemma, and I want to imagine them coming into the presence of the throne room of the Almighty God. And Lord, I want to bring them into your throne room, and I don't know what to say, so I just want to imagine them in your throne room and ask that you care for them. I think that's okay, because sometimes I'm not sure what to pray. But I see the presence, just the presence of the Almighty God can bring shalom, peace. So I don't want you to miss out. Don't just think a prayer as, God, help me with this, help me with that, amen. Go for a walk. 
and think. Go for a walk and enjoy God. You know, Sam Yama fishing game, it's a freebie. Mark that down. You can walk in there, the old codgers are there morning, but then you can walk through the bush and it's just like a presence of quietness and you can enjoy this nature walk and chat with the Lord. But enjoy the presence of God, you guys. Yes, ask for stuff. That's all part of it. But make sure that you can come into the presence of the Almighty God. Imagine his throne room and imagine him enjoying your presence and you enjoying his. One friend of mine many, many years ago, actually in high school, grade 11, said, you know, the best time to pray or the be- best time to get along with, uh, get along with God is when you don't feel like it. You ever have that sense like, oh, I'm so frustrated. Ah. That's the greatest time to get along with God is when you don't feel like it. Think about even when you started courting your, your spouse. Uh, time flies. When you're falling in love, it's pretty cool. And it's just like, you look at the oh, you gotta get home, otherwise you're gonna get it from the mother-in-law, right? But... It's amazing just to get lost in the presence of your spouse-to-be. You just adore them, and you, you can see all the attributes and characteristics of what you love about this person. Why is it different with the Lord? Take a look around today. Like yesterday, there was such a fog, and then all of a sudden, the, 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 the sun broke through, and you could look finally later on and see Mount Baker. I lift up my eyes unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? help comes from the Lord. Just adore him. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near as supplicate or, or, or pray or be specific in your petitions. In Luke verse 18, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One of us was a Pharisee or a, a Sunday school teacher or hmm, a preacher and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at the distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but he just beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you see this humility, but you also see this passion. You see the supplication. He comes, and he wants to be in the presence of God, and he doesn't come on his own merit. He just says, God, have mercy on me. And that's the guy that met the Lord. The other guy that was rolling out his resume, he was rolling out his resume. That was it. He didn't connect with the Heavenly Father. There's power in prayer. We come in supplication, but there's power in prayer, you guys. Just last night, I got to quote to somebody, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So you as a child of the Most High King have the presence of the Trinity within you. You actually have God Almighty living within you. The Holy Spirit resides. That's his home. So when you look out and you hear the news of what happened at Bakerview Park, all that stuff strikes fear into my heart. Hey, I got a kid that age. But greater is he that is in me than 
the one that's trying to conjure up fear. Greater is he that is in me than the thief that's trying to take my peace, than the thief that's trying to take my joy. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I think I'm guessing that some of us need to hear that today. Because, let's be honest, many of us pray with a nagging thought that God's probably not going to show up anyway. I think there's sometimes we even protect God. Uh, it's a very good thing to say, Lord, if it is your will, that's biblical. But I have a feeling that some of us couch it, Lord, if it is your will, because we actually are housing some doubt. God, if it's your will, oh, God, I hope it's his will. You know, and, and I think sometimes we're actually trying to protect God's reputation because uh, I'm, I'm not sure. You know what I'm talking about. Like, it's a one thing to say, Lord, if it is your will, and you mean it. But I think there's another time where you're feeling like, oh man, I, I, I can't see God healing him of this one. Or I can't see God bringing peace to that family. Um, but Lord, if it is your will. And I think it goes back to what Wearsby said before, what you're thinking about and what's in your heart, what you're feeling will also spill out into your prayers and into your action. There's power in prayer. The Lord is near, he says, give thanks. This is giving thanks to God for what he has done and for who he is. So it's appreciation, giving thanks to God for everything. We know from Romans 1 that the scary part is if you stop giving thanks and stop giving glory to God, there comes a point, it seems, where there's a little mechanism where God says, okay, hands off. Mocking Jay, Panem. That to me is scary. So one of the things that we have to be careful of in our discipleship is, are you genuinely thank you, thankful? And kids, you know what it means to say, yeah, thanks, Dad, but really, it's just a brush off. Yeah, thanks, Dad, and you go on. But really, are you thankful? Does it show that you are thankful for what you have been given? And when we come to the Lord as disciples, are we thankful for such a great salvation that he has saved us from ourselves and the miry clay? Do we have this deep appreciation for everything that he's given to us? We know that even uh, from the lepers' experience, there's 10 lepers, only one of the 10 returns to give thanks. And Jesus takes notice of that. A whole bunch of them get healed from something that alienated them from everything that they knew, from their whole community, from their families. But only one says, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. The other nine, well, finally, they get back to business as usual. We are eager to ask, but often so slow to appreciate or give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says to give thanks in everything. So to give thanks in the good, to give thanks in the bad, to give thanks in the ugly. And our definition of bad isn't always the same definition that God gives it. For instance, you heard Pastor Ken pray today, Lord, bring something good out of the tragedy that happened just on Friday night. Sometimes God even allows stuff in our lives that we would say, that's definitely bad or ugly. But then five years down the road, 10 years down the road, we go, wow, if that painful experience didn't happen to me, I wouldn't have experienced this today. It's 
And I think, at least from a human perspective, I think it's true that it's easier to give to someone again if that f- person was thankful the first time around, right? So if I have two people here and I give something to you and you go, oh, this is awesome, thanks so much, and I give some to you and you go, yeah, thanks, you know, I'm probably going to give more to this guy and I'm going to sense that, yeah, she didn't really need it and not all that thankful. Now, luckily, God doesn't work on my economy, but I think, too, that he, if he even says in Romans that a big deal is to give him glory and to give him thanks, I think also he notices a thankful heart. And you've got to remember, we're coming back around to how do we have peace this season? One of the ways to have peace is to remember the Lord is near, give thanks. The Lord is near, give thanks. And finally, we come to the last one. Uh, the Lord is near, be at peace. The Lord is near, be at peace. And the peace of God, and the peace of God shall guard your hearts. And the peace, of, I love that saying, the peace of God shall keep. And what that means is it's a garrison, it's a guard like a soldier. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When you have a secure mind, the peace of God guards you. The word shall keep is actually borrowed from, it's a military term. It's a mount guard. God's peace is like a, a, a sentinel. Mounts guard and, and patrols before the, the heart's door, keeping worry out. Keeps worry out. I, I get, again, we're a picture guy or I watch too many movies, but I have that picture again of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. He's just protecting all these little things and he just puts down his, his uh, staff. You shall not pass, says to the evil dragon. And he's protecting the little ones, right? He's putting himself, he ends up sacrificing himself at that point for the safety of the little ones that he's protecting. The Lord is near, be at peace. And he, giving us that peace, he's, it's like setting up this garrison or these guards. And if you can imagine, who's writing this again? Paul? Was he in an ivory tower or where was he? Chained probably to two guards. So you guys, he's writing this in reality show stuff. Like he's right there in reality. He has two guards that are guarding him, not for peace reasons, but here he's looking at them and he's writing away saying, this is like the peace of God that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The words shall keep are, again, are that military term giving you this, um, this picture of having a guard posted at the gates. But when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ in salvation, we can experience peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, right? We instantly, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can have peace with God. No matter the circumstances or trials that go on around us, we have a deep, stalwart, immovable joy in our hearts because we place our trust in Jesus Christ. So does that mean if you don't have 100% peace with God all the time, you probably aren't a Christian? Let's pray. Just kidding. That would be a lame way to conclude this, eh? Well, maybe I'm not a Christian, right? Um... I think this is real. There's a spiritual battle, you guys. When he says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan, Satan doesn't care about you. 
he hates you, he is capital G Grinch. And he doesn't care that, come along, buddy. He hates you. And he'll use distractions of this world. He'll use worry. He'll use dissension in your marriage. He'll use all sorts of stuff at work to get you distracted and to not have peace. He wants you to be full of worry and pull your faith away and replace it with fear. And you know, when we give our lives to Christ, I think lots of us still struggle. You might have the gift of peace. In fact, I think it was Billy Graham that says he had the gift of faith. When he became a Christian, he never doubted his faith again. That is a gift. Because I think lots of us, most of us probably have doubted our faith. And this peace that we have, I think, is still an exercise because he talks about you have to have peace in the mind, right? By the renewing of your mind. Well, this mind's always going. And there's always more information coming in, going out, going in, coming out, right? So it's very important that we continue to apply the peace of Christ even in our thinking. And we take every thought captive, Because it is the evil one's job to steal you of your joy, to steal you of your testimony, to steal you of your peace. In uh, a book called The Shack, it wasn't my favorite book, but nonetheless, William Young wrote something in there. He said, Seriu, who was a name for the Holy Spirit, talks to the human, main character of the novel, and says, paradigms power perceptions and perceptions power emotions most emotions are responses to perception so what you think is true about a given situation if your perception is false then your emotional response will also be false so check your perceptions and beyond that check the truthfulness of your paradigms what you believe just because you believe something firmly doesn't make it true, be willing to re-examine what you believe. The more you live in truth, the more your emotions will help you see clearly. But even then, you don't want to trust your emotions more than the Holy Spirit. So it's very important. You see that? The paradigms, how we think, goes to how we feel, to how we act. So if you're thinking that, oh, I'm not worthy of forgiveness, I don't, like, uh, then all of a sudden fear is saturating that maybe I'm not forgiven, maybe I don't have a seat in heaven, maybe not placed there with, then all of a sudden you do things that are just screaming fear and screaming that you don't have peace with God. It's a done deal. Now let's exercise our minds, let's exercise our hearts, which will turn into our actions because the God of peace will soon crush Satan is God will crush him underneath his feet. To conclude, very simply, Martin Luther said this, I can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but I can sure stop them from building nests in my hair. I can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but I can stop them from building nests in my hair. You guys, there's always going to be something to worry about. There's always going to be someone that wants to steal your joy. But maybe it's about time that we trust Jesus practically by spending some intense time of prayer, of adoration, and remembering, and maybe over and over again this week, this mantra, the Lord is near.
The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends this morning, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would help them, Lord. There's a ton of circumstances, ton of bills to pay, ton of worries, tons of bad news, all the stuff flying over our heads, but we don't have to let that stuff nest in our hair. We don't have to take on the worries. We can take our worries to Jesus. The Lord is near. We can take our thanksgiving to Jesus. The Lord is near. We can be at peace with you. The Lord is near. We can ask for anything in your name. The Lord is near. We don't have to worry. The Lord is near. Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to leave you with a short benediction from Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3. Now you, God, Jehovah, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you.